This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to Foundation and Podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Foundation on Apple TV+. This week, we're considering feedback for Season 1, Episode 8, The Missing Piece. Respect and enjoy the podcast. All right, Aaron. Uh, how's the feedback looking this week? Oh, we have a we have a mighty bag of feed <laughs> uh, so. that we need to consider. Uh, people sending stuff to uh, foundation of baldmove dot com and stuff we're going to consider in this podcast. But first, uh, you know, uh, we're, 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 I'm a, I renamed the segment. It's no longer the Conception Inception. It is now the Goyer Foyer. <laughs> this is the intro. Okay. This is the these the entryway to our podcast, or if you like the British pronunciation, the Goyer Foyer. Yeah, I like that. Uh, for people to come through the podcast and consider the official thoughts of uh, Goyer and his team of writers, as moderated by Jason Concepcion over on the official podcast. Also, we got another email from David this week. Nice talking about our coverage. So we got a couple things in the the Goyer Foyer. Um, you, do you have any points you want to talk about? Uh, you, we both listened to the official pod. Uh, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I took a couple of trips through it because um, I background watched the listen the first time and it didn't really stick. Uh, second time through, I thought it was interesting that they it, something I hadn't considered when I watched the episode the first time or the, the last week um, is that maybe day possibly wouldn't have killed uh halima or at least had dimmerzel kill halima if it hadn't been for her kneeling at the ceremony the previous episode i i guess i hadn't even thought that there was any way that she would have gotten out of this but it seems like maybe that was a factor based on what they said i know we we engaged in a little bit of this kind of talk and speculation but yeah, even even from Dimmerzel's perspective, when she was like talking to Empire after the deed was done, she was kind of like, I, you know, I don't understand. You'd already beat her. Yeah. And then he came back with the Imperious. Um, well, you know, just because you don't comprehend it doesn't mean I have to explain it. It it sounds to me like this is an uncharacteristic decision for him. It's uncharacteristically because because like we even said, like, man, he's really soundly beating beaten halima mm-hmm. but he's also kind of let her have a hand up you know like uh hey you know yeah i destroyed you theologically but i never would have done it if it hadn't been for your inspiration sure it seemed I'm like, like that man, was the case that's a great way to like you know punch somebody down but then also you know maybe pretend turn them to a potential ally now i think halima is too pure yeah in her you know, spiritual politics to, to for that. To, and, and, and maybe maybe Empire would have done it anyway. But I kind of think you slash slash David are, are right that if he, she hadn't knelt, like the very least, he wouldn't have made Dimmerzel do it. Yeah, you know? that's that's the thing. Jason said this was um like like an assertion of dominance, essentially. Like, yeah. Hey, I I see like there are some around the edges things here where you are maybe more invested in this religion than potentially serving the empire. I'm going to make sure that that's not the case. And 
uh, t- test the limits of my power over you essentially and boy yeah it, it, when you add that layer to it like this is not only a fuck you to halima i'm gonna kill you even after beating you but it's it's really just like we talked about how tough this is as a follower of of luminism for her to go in and kill uh zephyr i mean that's one angle but the other angle is like yeah he's doing it only because she showed her loyalty or allegiance to the religion in the first place if she hadn't have done that if she had just stood next to him without kneeling he might not have had her do this that that's just yeah i hadn't even thought about it it's wild but it might so it's like it's also hard to separate what is personal versus non-personal motivation for someone like Empire because sure. you also can see the very real concern he had when he's dealing with her about like are your imperatives working mm-hmm. you know like are you still a hundred percent loyal to the Empire and this was a way to test that right like yeah you know I I'm pretty sure she doesn't want to kill kill a, a bishop of her church. Uh, or an archbishop of her church, essentially the like right, right well, below. The, these the, are the, the consequences, of, right? We we talked about like yeah. what are the consequences going to be for this? Essentially, a, a huge transgression in in my eyes um, when she yeah. kneels. It, and these are the consequences, right? This is not just a test of of his power over her. This is also a reminder to her of that power and and to step back in line, right? It's there are two layers here. Yeah, and I wonder um, when you say, like, it's not just a test, um, I, I don't even know what it means to humiliate or put a robot <laughs> that is programmed for loyalty back in its place. Like, and, and, like, right. clearly, uh, even from Goyer's omission, there's not, there. you know, he sees the, the robots of Asimov as more soulful than a lot of the human, you know, because a lot of times, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> frankly, Asimov wasn't that, I think, interested in the human motivations of, of some of his characters. They're just stuff hmm. for him to play with science fiction idea. Whereas the, the robots obviously fascinated by their potential and, and how, you know, they uh, are intertwined, but also separate from humanity. And um, they don't experience emotions like us. And they've got these drives to, to be like, you know, uh, they're almost um, a perfected humanity because they have like everyone's right. best interest in mind and they're selfless and all this kind of thing, you know? So, but but even then, it's like, I, I don't know, like, it's weird for it'd be like um, me putting my Keurig in place because it told me mm-hmm. like I was desperate for coffee one morning and it said add water. Fuck, yeah. I got to fucking add water you before you dispense caffeine. I, I don't know if you're still loyal to the whole caffeinated agenda here. Right. Um, so you dump a so, pot of water on it. Yeah. But you're also like, if you if you connect the lines where because because Goyer said in another podcast that he thinks that like uh, Empire, like one of the ritual or one of the things inevitably happens in the Empire Demerzel relationship is they can they consummate a sexual relationship. Mm. So it's like, I don't know what it looks like to fuck your Kureg either. There's clearly a lot of like mommy Oedipus type stuff bound up into this so it's like yeah it's it's not just any one thing but yeah what does it mean to yeah also yeah what does it mean to put your mom slash lover slash (laughs) appliance into its place like there's just Uh tons of layers to this whole thing it seems like 
Um, I so a lot of this was just like practical behind the scenes stuff, which I find it fascinating, but it doesn't really tell us much about the the world itself. Yeah. Um, or the, the the show itself, you know, like him fighting over a particular cave or this particular location and, and, and what it meant and, and his inspiration for different pilgrimages that this is based on, like the Hajj. And, um, but one thing I thought was interesting is that, you know, uh, this is back in 106, um, where we, you know, where, where, uh, um, Empire was a much more kind of a subservient relationship to to Dimmerzel. You know, he's eating a little bowl of soup and he's being, you know, flashcarded by his mom about this thing. Um, they mentioned that in the set there, there's uh, in, in the shot list, you know, when they're looking at the stuff, there was nothing about that. Uh, uh, there's a little prop of this uh, birth root flower on Dimmerzel's um, makeup desk, whatever you call that credenza. Mm-hmm. Um, uh and he noticed that there was never like explicitly a shot that like, you know, the inset shot of, of, of that thing. And I guess they got through all the filming of that day and they realized, oh, they had that one shot, but hey, it's not that big a deal. And, and Goyer come flying in. It's like, no, we have to get this uh, shot of the Empire considering the birth. And I went back and, re- and, and watched it because I didn't even notice this. But like, right. not only does the camera focus on the birthright flower pans up to Dimmerzel noticing empire looking at it and then becoming lost in thought to, to the point where he doesn't kind of follow what she's saying. And he asks, she has to recall it's clearly like three, like two, three episodes ago, they laid this birth uh, root thing. And I thought that was, was cool. The kind of the, the small details that you have to sweat when you're doing a, a show, a show like this. Um, and there's another one. Um, I, I guess it's it's appropriate uh, to include in the Goyer foyer. Uh, the email that that uh, Mr. Goyer sent himself. He said, "You guys are wondering why Eskel, who is the other the elderly pilgrim pilgrim that's on the the pilgrimage with the Empire, says you're going to wonder why he doesn't recognize Day as the Emperor. I've always maintained that he does recognize him, but because he's religious, he goes with it and welcomes it. Prior to that, hmm. uh, Day was swathed in rags, etc." Uh, so many other people didn't recognize him. Um, you know, like we said, why sure. would the empire be there? All these different cultural contexts that we're missing. But he says, I think the Eskil realizes he's walking with the emperor and embraces it. And wow. just for shits, I went back and watched the first couple scenes of them interacting. And when empire goes to blow past this old man, he kind of does a double take. And like, there is like an unmistakable f- f- both flash of recognition and then I think what I can only identify is like some kind of smug acceptance of like even the empire, even the emperor is down with my religion, you know, kind of yeah. like if you're a, if you're a very devout you know member of a certain religion and you find out some other powerful word f- figure like President G, for example, uh, you know, as a foundation fan, you, you would you'd feel a little <laughs> puff of pride in that. Right. So I it's it's, yeah. it's interesting that like I think. All this stuff is is kind of scripted, um, or at least it came through out of conversations, maybe that uh, the guy who plays Eskel and and Goyer had. But I thought that mm-hmm. was pretty cool. Um, so he, this is what we what we call in the industry biting the bullet when a podcast says, "Is it unrealistic that this guy?" And we you spend five minutes talking about how it's not, and the creator's like, "Ah, oh, nah, he fucking recognizes him." Yeah, you got you got to respect that. Uh, anything else in the Goyer foyer before we transition from the opening to the entryway and we get into the podcast proper? No, I think I'm good. Okay. Uh, well, we'll consider all of your guys' great feedback right after this brief break. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, we're back again. If you want to send feedback into the show, foundation at baldmove.com is the one and only place uh, where that stuff uh, trickles into the podcast. I did get several people uh, wondering why we spent so long entertaining the theory. Uh, there's an alternate theory about, you know, Gale plus race equals Salvor. Uh, uh, um, uh, yeah. Uh, a guy put forward like a Harry plus, I think her name's Lowry. Uh, the the Asian lady that had her zygote harvested um, mm-hmm. equal salver, and it's like, why did you spend so much time considering whether a white man and an Asian lady can have a a, a black woman for a child? And I'm like, oh man, that is kind of stupid because that's the ultimate disproof. But then I thought about it more, and this weekend especially, I saw going around on Twitter uh, a black couple, a black man and a white woman who had, among other things, twin daughters, obviously fraternal twins. One of those daughters, I would can say, is is stereotypically white, blonde hair, blue eyes, light skin. The other one, I would say, stereotypically black, brown skin, brown hair, brown eyes. Hmm. I, I, I'm just saying genetics like we're just, you know, if traditionally, except for the last, you know, 100 years or so, we've kind of been all siloed up. Uh, and I, I don't know exactly. I mean, I've seen for sure, like a redheaded kid shoot out of a family tree that had like a great grandfather had red hair you know, four generations ago, like the Punnett squares, man, who who knows? I I, I guess I'm not ready to dismiss Jerry Harry. And uh, this, uh, I I looked her up. She's, she's from the Philippines. I I guess I'm not ready to dismiss them as, as having like a salver esque. Yeah. I don't, I don't have many generations back. I don't, I don't know these people's family tree. Maybe it's not crazy. Maybe the technology on the the genetic stuff is not, nearly as good as empire maybe they can get the perfect clones but then you know you're mixing in just you just got a stew a whole stew just a big pot yeah of, eight um, trillion uh people that all came from a single planet moving to different uh, <laughs> the, the, the planets with different environments you know fucking this and that and the other and hmm. it, it's 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 probably um it looks like you know 21st century you know, the world only much more so. So everybody anyway. except Lewis was getting laid there. That's all I'm saying. Especially, uh, <laughs> especially when we're talking about like sci-fi fantasy stuff, you know, cause they, uh-huh. I feel like they play with like genetics anyway. Like I, it drove me crazy. The game of Thrones, the seed of strong business, like, you know, Robert Baratheon's has super sperm that just destroys blonde hair and blue eyes in, in, in the, in the zygote. Just, just, just goes with the, the his sperm has little tiny war hammers and just just smack. I don't know. Um, anyway, let's move on to the first uh, real feedback from Scott. 
says, I was slightly disappointed when you were comparing Harry Seldon to early and late Dumbledore that you didn't make the father and son connection. I did not know. I was I was this years old until I realized that Jared Harris is the son of Richard Harris, who was the original Dumbledore. Hmm. Okay, I've I've never seen the movies. I don't know anything about them. So you've seen Gladiator, right? Richard Harris is the old emperor that dies. Well, I guess he's killed in the beginning of Gladiator. Um, And he's like a very famous storied British actor and uh, Jared Harris uh, descendant. So Apple didn't fall far from the tree. But Mm -hmm. I didn't know, Scott. So thank you for letting me. That's that's fucking blew my mind. Uh, Ali says, as of yet, I'm not understanding those crying foul of Selden's inclusion of specific individuals into predictions and machinations. While it's true that psychohistory can't predict uh, actions of individuals, it does seem plausible that Harry Selden as a man could, especially considering individuals with whom he's had close personal relationships. For example, you can reasonably predict how your partner will order their coffee, how a close friend will interact with others at a party, etc. It makes sense then that Selden would be incentivized to take advantage of this, setting the chessboard as much as possible in his favor with players he knows, understands, and can within limit predict on a purely interpersonal level. While he can't use math to map either Gale or Lewis's actions, his model may include something like the foundation needing a strong leader early during a crisis, a role he can then decide from personal experience Gale is well suited for, while Lewis is not. Obviously, his ability to identify and influence this would become more diffuse when events become further removed from Selden's own life and experience, though I suppose Hollow Selden may be able to wield this infer level of intervention to some degree moving forward. Um, yeah, this keeps being coming brought up in the podcast, like the yeah. fine differences between individual action and and uh, collective effort. Um, and the thing is, is like more and more, I guess I see both sides, right? You know, like because like even if I if I take Ali's email here, it's straight straight face or straight straight value whatever i'm trying to say here a face value um what did harry actually know about gale so i absolutely believe that harry selden threw this wide net at this math contest and in his probability he's like you know whoever comes out of this math contest will be um useful for you know x y or z maybe for this you know for vouching for for the trial it's a little bit harder to believe that he would be able to surmise from the person successfully doing the math contest that that would also be the person who's best able to lead the foundation. And by his own admission, all the all, all the precognition, he had no idea mm-hmm. was going to happen. So like, but on the other hand, I feel like I would like to give the show some opportunity to play around with this concept of psychohistory and the great man theory versus the bottom up uh, history of uh, or way to look at history because you know I, I, I think that uh, a lot has changed in the world in the last 60-70 years and you know they can incorporate new things like you know cloning and they can integrate some of that robotic stuff where it might not have been well integrated in beginning foundation they can like look ahead at like things that made it been like a deus ex machina in book three and start laying the seeds and book like I I guess that's what separates me from the the Asimov purists that I see online losing their shit mm-hmm. is that they just don't seem to think that there's any way you can deviate from the source material and still be true to its spirit. Uh, do do you feel that or? Oh yeah, I mean that's. It's something that I even struggle with. I'm like, I think to the experience that I've had reading the books 
or reading that first book. Um, and then I look at the show and I'm like, well, these experiences aren't very similar at all. Um, one of them is much more focused on the, the people involved in this uh, organization and the other is structured around the organization itself. Um, but I'm, I'm giving it time to get there, right? Like, that's the thing. The, the show is going to take its time now that I sort of know what the map is for like seasons mm-hmm. to books and all that. The show is going to take its time, but I do feel like they're getting around to all of the highlights that you want from the book because the book is a series of highlights. That's what it is. Right. right. Uh, and so like, I, I don't feel like it is a downgrade to fill in the gaps. And I don't think they're going to change like the large, the, the big picture stuff here too much. Um, it's, it's certainly, we, we too, can already see this soon. Not. It's, it's, and it's certainly it too is, soon yeah. to say, like, oh, those deviate. Cause like, I can't think of how many times when we were covering Game of Thrones mm-hmm. that like book people were shitting their pants around episode six, seven, or eight of any given season thinking, oh my God, this guy's doing that instead of this guy. And this guy's an amalgamation of this girl and this, this lady. And if they do this, then there's no possible way they'll, then almost every single, like, yeah, they play jazz in the middle, but like, Almost every end of a Game of Thrones season, they were ready to throw the ball to season, you know, season one to season two, season two, season three. Even those minor changes, they were able to collapse that so that the integrity of the story was able to hit those, you know, crisis points. Right. Sure. Uh, you could still hit all the, the climax, maybe not in exactly the same way, but like, you know, l- looking back, things were different. But when you look forward to the new season, you're like, oh, I can kind of see how this is going to, you know, meet up and, and head into the third book, even though you arrived at there a different way. And I think that I'm inclined to give that freedom to foundation as well. Yeah. The, um, the more I see of this show, the more I think that's what they're doing. They're, they're getting around to the big stuff, but they're setting a lot of uh, smaller stuff in motion here, right? They're setting a yeah. lot of tone and a lot of like character beats. So you care when these things happen because they're happening to people that, you know, it, I think it makes it richer. Like I said, at the beginning of this show, if, if they can pull off hitting the big highlights that the books hit, plus adding a whole bunch of character texture in there, I'm all for that. Yeah. I, I think at the end of episode 10, we'll be able to see, oh, how this is going to meet up with some of the other sections of the first book. And um, yeah. And if not, yeah. like, on, and, and the other thing with a story, because like Game of Thrones is a lot more straightforward than this story. Like you didn't have massive time jumps like mm-hmm. martin wanted a five-year time jump but that'd be modest compared to what we've already seen <laughs> in this this show yeah like i'm almost prepared to give it two seasons like i won't panic if at the end uh, until at the end of two seasons like it looks like i don't see how they get back to the book map from here and even then i'm gonna go to panic if i'm not enjoying the experience right right like, if this happens to be like a more inspired by Asimov's foundation and it, it takes the core concepts and does something interesting and relevant to, you know, it, it's like, it almost feels like this. Like imagine if someone is a big fan of the rise and fall of the Roman empire, that original historical work from like 200 years ago. Right. Mm-hmm. And they hear that this weird scientist is adapting that for a science fiction project. And they're like, what the fuck? Where's Cleopatra and Mark Anthony's nothing like this. Harry Seldon, like, you know, yeah. like it's it's an adaptation that that Asimov was doing to say something interesting about the time he was living in and what he saw for the future. Well, we're seven years past that. So it's only appropriate to continue to adapt that. So because, again, I know we talked about this in the previews, 
the foundation series is a pretty dry intellectual interest in, in exercise. Very, yeah. That would be a hard pitch. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I, and I, but that's I, not me saying it's okay that they can do whatever they want with Asimov stuff. You know, I, I think there's a happy medium and, and we're a ways away from seeing if they've achieved that. Yeah. Hopefully that answers your question about predicting individual actions. <laughs> we got pretty far afield from that. Yeah. 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 Uh, Seawells, clearly the Emperor is flirting with all types of sunburn. Good heavens, he's going to have to keep that mm-hmm. force field on for another four years and pray skin cancer doesn't set in. Uh, oh, those nanobots will take care of any errant cells. It feel, feels feels like it, yeah. yeah. It does, uh, it's just permanently search and destroy for cancer. Uh, he says this guy went uh, legit, went full Frank Abagnale, that's the guy from Catch Me If You Can, and tricked the entire religion into giving him a hall pass, then sent Demerzel into Zephyr's room and gave her some poison dove lotion. What a great episode. Does this mean the Empire has no purpose because they're on track with an end because the Empire is failing? Or did he not get a vision because he legit has no soul and Halimo is speaking the truth? Uh, or is it both? That's another thing they were talking about in the, the official podcast this week. Um, I think the creators are under the impression that he does have a soul just as Dimmerzel has a soul um, in whatever way you define that. It's not necessarily that he doesn't have a soul that he doesn't see a vision. He just didn't see a vision. And they compare it to like, you know, when someone um, I think it's Liz Fang is the the writer who was on the podcast with them this mm-hmm. week. And she said, think of it like when when somebody tells you, hey, uh, I, I did meditation for two weeks and I saw God and it'll change your fucking life. You need to come meditate with me and you do it for an hour and nothing happens. Yeah. You're just like bored and you fidget and you look at your watch. Yeah. That's the experience the day is having. It's not that you meditate and you don't see anything so you don't have a soul. <laughs> it's just that it didn't happen for you in that moment. I saw an interview with uh, Tania Miller, who is the lady who portrays Zephyr Halima, and she had an interesting take where she's like, I think the emperor has a soul. He's just at the very beginning of his spiritual journey. Right. Which is exciting to think about in terms of, you know, to the extent that this is an analogy to the fall of the Roman Empire. We we talked about that last week, how there's a, you know, you might have a schism and there might be an eastern and western half. You might have an emperor that converts to a new religion that changes the course. like. It would be interesting if the emperors become kind of like a religious institution, mm-hmm. kind of following, you know, and like Emperor uh, Constantine um, that like maybe not this guy and maybe not the, the current emperor Don, but like uh, a Cleon, a generation or three from now with all the religious fervor. He's no doubt stirring up, um, you know, might have this like a much more overtly religious the empire as a way to stave off. Cause like, clearly this is him trying to be like, Oh, you know what? Harry Selden, fuck you. You're going to, you're, you're going to, you're going to tell me that these are crises. I'm going to say they're opportunities to be even stronger. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think you're going to have eight seasons of empire twisting itself into a pretzel, trying to keep the regime going and getting increasingly more desperate, increasingly further from the vision of the original Cleon. Um, yeah. and, 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 and struggling and, and, futilely against that that destiny but it's kind of a cool idea to have this kind of technocrat technocrat technocrats crossy i i don't know how you say technocrat democracy technocracy sure they have this technocracy like subsumed into some kind of religious uh theocracy 
And I think if I if I recall correctly, they play a little bit about with that in the books, like how you can use religion almost cynically to like inject these memes, these ideas into a civilization quicker. Like, you know, yeah, you could educate and explain and 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 rationalize people, but sometimes it's a lot easier just to grab a hold of the monkey, the lizard parts yeah. of the brain and squeeze, you know. I'm super interested to see where the luminous stuff crosses paths with the foundation if at all because that yeah. that could get interesting yeah and clearly i think clearly they're they're doing something about the merging of these religions with the empire taking this you know having this vision and all that but mm-hmm. yeah i don't i don't think it says it's, it seems like the show creators are pretty unanimous that this doesn't this isn't a referendum on a soul it's more a referendum on how open he is to being spiritual yeah um now, I did see another couple people that seemed like they misinterpreted like I, I, this is a, a cool take. I just think it's wrong with Dimmerzel saying, um, I pity a person that saw no vision because that's such an empty and, and meaningless existence and that she was talking about herself. But like hmm. she also speaks in this episode how it's the most beautiful thing she's seen, how it changed her life. I don't think sitting in an empty void shivering in a pool of water meets those. So so like I, I think I don't know. It seemed like a lot of people are trying to make sure that Demerzel is not anthropomorphized, you know, like, you know, how can you how can a robot have a vision? I, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I honestly don't like that's a crazy yeah. thought to me, but something happened in her brain that made her see something that, that changed the course of all, all history. It seems like, so mm-hmm. uh, let's move on to Scott. So just listen to the last recap. I want to throw out a thought on Dimmerzel. I enjoy the three rules of robotics and how they can be manipulated and thinking about the emperors. We know that Dimmerzel can never hurt them because she's a robot and cannot harm a human being, but Dimmerzel may not view the emperors as human due to her religious viewpoint. Additionally, with the Kleon referring uh, to themselves as Empire, if Demerzel has been given a vague directive such as protect the Empire, she could choose to interpret that broadly, so broadly as to protect the actual Empire, not these meat bags. Mm-hmm. This could help explain the faulty cloning of the most recent Empire. Uh, so I may be waiting for the reveal that she's working against the Emperors and in support of Harry's plan to protect the Empire as much as she can. Although I hold out hope that she is a bloodthirsty robot looking for revenge and will be the anti-Harry setting up two masterminds to go head to head in a psychohistory battle. Um, hmm. No, and that's the thing is like we are in the dark about the motivations of Demerzel, which is why I get frustrated when people get very dogmatic about what Demerzel can and cannot do with regards to the, the laws of robotics, with regards to her imperatives of uh serving the empire et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, interpretation is always a good question. Um, cause that is kind of left up to her. And I, I guess I, I sort of read, um, as I've been thinking about it more and more, the, the thing she says to him about, you know, that being empty is, is a dig at him. I, I think it's like, you maybe do this terrible thing. I'm going to give you a little bit of uh, grief, give you a little anguish over not seeing a vision because I know you stole my vision. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that is maybe actually her vision that she saw. Like she keeps this birth route around. Um, 
as as a reminder of that vision is my guess. Yeah. And I don't think there's anything explicitly saying that, but that's kind of what I thought. She like he literally stole her vision. It's not like he just picked up on context clues about the religion and then used that. He did do that stuff to to construct his own vision, but that was her vision. Well, let me. Ask, so I don't know that I agree with that. I don't know that I disagree with it either. But it's, like I heard yeah, for the first time, someone it, it, there's no it, advanced that. Uh-huh. Um, but I wonder what the interpretation. So if she literally saw a birthroot flower, yeah. like you know, assembled, like what would be the interpretation that means something to her? Because this is good question. Eleven thousand years before the genetic part of the the imperial dynasty would begin. So yeah, like, it wouldn't mean anything. Yeah, but it has to mean something. Well, right? well it wouldn't like, mean anything. Yeah, related to the the emperor, the the same way that it did to, you know, if Cleon were to have that vision, that right. would make a lot of sense for him. But yeah, what would it mean for her? Yeah, I mean, the religion has a lot of trinities already. You know, the three moons, the three goddesses. Uh-huh. Um, so there's already, and I guess these birth roots were something like, uh, you know, the fig, the fig leaf or, or the olive branches that the doves brought back to Noah. And that's sure. how he knew there's dry land, you know, like these, these, the, the fact that these, this, this uh, plant was growing on the, the maiden, let them know that uh, it was, you know, that, that it's the cataclysm's over and they can start repopulating it. Um, mm-hmm. So it, and then like, I, that's the thing is like, I, I wasn't sure if I assumed that her vision was related to the birth route or like that was like a memento she took of her journey because apparently back 11,000 years ago, this path uh, the spiral was a very different affair. Like it was <laughs> right. covered in vegetation and flowers and shit. Like, uh, huh. I had a bunch of questions about that. Like what kind of cultural drift happened where like, was this used to be like a park and it wasn't like a grueling thing. And it's become that as the, moon has been devastated by god knows what they've done to it in, in, in <laughs> right. fifteen thousand years but yeah um, it's gonna be people yeah. talking about living in california in the 90s versus living in it in the 2040s sure. right <laughs> right right yeah what's on fire all the time uh-huh. uh let's move on to byroa who says i have a couple things i want to talk about first up asimov's laws of robotics the discussion regarding dimmerzel's motivations and actions in context with these laws ignores an elephant in the room there's apparently a war of extinction fought between the robots and humans i don't know how we can assume asimov's laws are applicable given this history unless we assume it was a one-sided war with the robots not defending themselves despite dimmerzel's line about being unable to act against empire this seems like a big hole if we are to assume the laws exist or apply before we answer that, or yet, um, I saw a lot of confusion in the fandom where some people are saying, oh, well, there is no three laws of robotics in this because this team was unable to secure the rights to the robot series. They've got the Foundation and Empire series, but they don't have access to the characters and rights of the robot series. Hmm. And uh, um, Goyer clarified this on his AMA and Reddit three weeks ago. He yeah. said, Asimov's robotics laws, this is a direct quote, do exist in the universe of the show, but that doesn't necessarily mean Demerzel is presently bound by them. And to explain further would expo- uh, spoil too much. I think he's actually talking about this episode. Could be because yeah. there is. So, like, how do we round that? How do we how do we square that? You know, um, there like like if there was three laws of robotics and they've been with the robots the entire time, how is there a war between humans and robots? <laughs> I mean. I always figure if there's a war between humans and robots, the humans are going to lose. They're going to get their asses handed to them. 
It doesn't seem so, that that's the way it works out in science fiction, though. You know, Dune, yeah, they the but robots. we're pretty optimistic about our own capabilities, I think, uh, <laughs> compared to our creations. I don't know. I, I could definitely see a one sided war. I could see a thing where like the robots provided no resistance and it was a war in name only. I, I don't know. Well, yeah, because like um, it reminded the first when I when I saw this person's email, I thought uh, to the Animatrix, you know, sure, the animated prequel to the Matrix. And if you remember that, like the, they they go into the prehistory of like how robot and human, mm-hmm. you know, um, became inimicable to each other, became, you know, enemies. And my recollection of this material is we started it pretty much 100 yeah. percent like robots, uh, you know, were able to usher in this golden age of humanity. But and this is a this is this is something maybe you want to sit sit up and, and pay attention to because not all the rewards were distributed evenly throughout the population for this boon of automation. There was the haves and haves not mm-hmm. then the have nots, the ones that were replaced and didn't have jobs and were felt made to feel less than the robots uh, started abusing them. They started to be scapegoating them and started attacking um, and initially the robots were just like, you know, Hey, we don't reckon, you know, if you're going to fucking extinct us, can we just go and start our own little nation? And they tried to do all these yeah. things to be left alone. And only in, in a, you know, in a last self, uh, last ditch self-defense did they fight back. I can easily envision a, a universe where the robots are kind of meek and mild and won't hurt humanity and humanity just because, you know, the automation creates the haves and have nots turn against the robots and destroy them, mm-hmm. even as the robots are passively accepting it. Yeah, um, it makes sense. And if uh, I guess they don't fight back, um, that wouldn't really matter. It, it, I mean, you know, a, a war can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people, right? Probably depends on what right. side you're on. A war might mean uh, a country comes in, just totally thrashes and invades and kills and, and takes everything. The other side would probably see that as a massacre, a genocide, right? It it wouldn't be a war to them. It'd be a human rights violation. Um, Yeah. Yeah. The war might be a misnomer, maybe. Yeah. And the other thing is, like, I guess some people say, well, that's how the law started. We beat the robots who weren't fettered by those laws, and then we put them in, in, in place. But that's not compelling to me. Huh? That's not really how it works in the the Asimovian, uh, right universe, right? It, th- those are rules that are there from the beginning of, of the creation of the AIs, right? But if you want to posit that they're not, yes, but like okay. it's it's intrinsic to the way the positronic brains work that these laws are in it, and it's it's like foundational to their consciousness. Mm-hmm. Um, but even if you want to say that a oh, lot, that's not true. Like it doesn't make sense that you annihilate a species and then you put restrictions on them. And then there's only one, like if they're incredibly useful yeah. and you can <laughs> fix them with the laws of robotics, then like you won the right. war, you imposed mental servitude on them. Why would you continue to wipe them out and oppress them? Sure. You, you, you go back to like, well, then you got, you know, non nonviolent, non-resisting robots being purged anyway. Kind of like, and in the same way that like, you can also see this in, um, I robot, the Will Smith, even though that's a really bastardized and twisted version of Asimov, <laughs> um, those robots meekly accepted at obsolescence when it's time for them to go yeah. like sit in cargo containers. That's clearly not their preference, but they were told to do that. So they did it in on mass. So mm-hmm. yeah, um, I'm very skeptical of people that are loudly proclaiming after eight episodes, what 
Asimov's robots can and cannot do because there's just no fucking way they've read the full breadth and scope. I haven't either, but like just, you know, from what I have read, like that's the whole point of the robot stories is like, you know, these these ethical quandrums and dilemmas that robots can get caught up into and what are the exceptions and mm-hmm. um, et cetera. Uh, Byroa had one other point said on the new clone Emperor Don, we wouldn't necessarily have to have the current Don die to decant his replacement, explore the possibilities discussed. He could also run off with garden girl Azura and that would necessary that would necessitate his replacement in the Holy Trinity bonus points. If he gets her pregnant with the ET extra testicle and his questionable reproductive status results in an infertile offspring, um, which if you're a book, book, book series reader, that goes interesting directions. Um, yeah, the thing is, is like, I, I don't know. I feel like the show told us that that's not going to happen. And if it was going to happen, it would have, you'd have to blindside the other emperors. And I feel like emperor dusk already kind of has a beat on this guy. Um, I mean, I still think there's a risk that dusk or Dadon is going to run off with Azura, right? I think it's a risk, but I think they get killed. I think that. What do they do in we the saw meantime? Kinda, like they're they're not going to wait. They're not going to be like, oh, maybe he's I don't know out back. Maybe he's over in uh, the woods hunting. <laughs> well, I, I'm just trying whatever. to think of like what what does that plot even look like? Like she pushes a laundry cart up to his quarters and he piles uh-huh. into the dirty. It's just like you know like a fucking hackneyed action 80s TV series plot. You know like how how do you get him out of the royal uh, palace? How do you get him on a jump ship? How do you get him to another planet? He's one of the most, re- you know, like I, I, I felt like the, the show did a pretty good job of her being hopeful that that could happen. Yeah. And yeah. he's just like, no, no, no. Mm, then I, okay. I think they might try it because they're it, clearly I, I kind of a ro- like a Romeo and Juliet thing. I just don't think it's yeah. going to succeed. Okay. Um, I would be very surprised if Emperor Dawn does not get replaced this season. Me too. I think I feel like that's starting to lead up to like maybe a season, not cliffhanger, but like the hammers, you know, like the like fuck things that you get on some of these shows where. Yeah. When you've got the shadow a, master skulking around to picking up on little details. Yeah. I, he, he's in trouble. Counting lizards and mm-hmm. this, that and the other. Yeah. Uh, J cubed has some problems with the inconsistencies that they're seeing in the space jumping. Because if the Anacreons don't have jump capabilities, how the hell did they find the Invictus when they first saw it jump? The Invictus literally could have wound up anywhere in the galaxy. Even if it had a jump relatively close, how could they possibly locate it? Fair shooting. The, uh, let's, let's start there. I got some ideas on this. What do you think? Like, this. What's your understanding of how Farrah found the Invictus? I actually don't know exactly how they found it. Because they, they talked about scouts. Like, so so mm-hmm. this area of space seems like it's the border of the borderlands right like it's way out in deep space it's at the border of anacreon's uh domain and thespians domain because we know that within a matter of hours the thespians can summon a huge fleet here presumably within a matter of hours the anacreons could do the same thing and just because you don't have jump Mm -hmm. drive i think they've established a show doesn't mean that you are um reduced to slower than light travel it's just you don't have the instantaneous yeah. cross the galaxy in a blink of an eye capability you might you know take years to travel from the middle of the galaxy like took like Harry's ship 34 years to mm-hmm. work its way through the space lanes and whatnot that's way Still faster damn than fast. fucking speed 
Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> the, the the Milky Way galaxy is like 100,000 light years wide. At light speed, it would take you 50,000 years to get from the middle to the edge, right? Mm-hmm. So we know they're not doing that. I, I feel like it's just within my my believability that Farrah's scouts were in this kind of like hiding out in this abandoned asteroid field, minding their own business, trying to think of how they are going to best strike at the Empire. And like she said, delivered from the gods themselves, boom, Invictus. And then it became a matter yeah. of where is who who knows how to work this shit? Because we certainly don't. Oh, Terminus is also happens to be in our backyard. They've got a bunch of scientists and engineers. Let's go raid and pillage. So I feel like it all works out. Yeah. I mean, if your hang up here is the universe is a large place and the likelihood of it appearing near Anacreon is approaching zero, you're right. But it happened in the story. So, like, I, I don't know what to tell you. If you, if you think that coincidence can't happen in a good story, then. I, I don't I don't have a rebuttal for that. I would just say that's not how I feel. I mean, here's one like um, one time a guy went to assassinate a political leader and got all confused about where he's going to be in a parade route. Um, <laughs> right. uh, dejected, wandered off to the nearest pub, ordered himself a sandwich, ordered himself a beer, sat there at the window thinking, how did I fuck this up? And at that exact moment, that political leader drove on by in his motorcade Mm -hmm. and the guy ran out there and blew his brains out as the Archduke Ferdinand. And that's how World War One started. Like, what are the fucking odds that the bar, this guy's pub that happened to be the route that the guy drove through? Now, you know, that's that's all (laughs) the roads in one city. But yeah, versus. uh, But but it just goes to show sometimes like, you know, shit happens. Um, Mm -hmm. And like fair is like it does. It it seemed miraculous. So even the show is not saying like this was some kind of clockwork plan. This was an opportunity. And the fact that like they had no idea, they just knew they had to act fast. So like the fact that some of this plot didn't maybe seem particularly well thought out or the fact that she lost three of her warships and doing like that makes sense because she's just kind of her and her and Salva are actually very similar. Both, Both very young, haven't really come into the fullness of their powers and responsibilities are kind of making shit up and flying by the seat of their pants. <laughs> um, but yeah, the show, it, the show didn't make it seem like it was a big uh, clockwork grand conspiracy. It just literally fell into her lap. They had no idea how long it's going to be in the system, so they had to act now. And I think they mm-hmm. can schlep around fast enough that if... Uh, didn't they say that the jump cycle was going to be a couple weeks, it turned out, or something like that? Maybe, I don't remember. So I, I, it wasn't like 24 hours. That would be like, what the fuck? But they had time enough to scrap together some ships and go after the scientists so um they also said ferris shooting the imperial captain seemed really dumb for more yeah. reasons than even them potentially needing him again they prove they will immediately kill someone the moment they are no longer of use mm-hmm. what is the motivation to continue to cooperate to kill someone buy yourself um, time i mean that, that's always the motivation to cooperate right is if if you have right. no intention of actually helping them you buy as much time as possible to give yourself an opportunity to get out of the situation until it's apparent that one is not going to uh, appear. And then I guess you just resist. And the, the quote, Farah, I don't think you're grasping the point of revenge. Like <laughs> she's really pissed off at the Empire mm-hmm. in a way that she's not pissed off at the Foundation people. So maybe these sure. nerds will think that they're safe because they're not an Imperial with Imperial blood flowing through them. and. You know, they're not part of the oppressor class. Um, but also, 
I think the next email dovetails nicely into this topic. Uh, Josh M says, I believe they're telling an origin story in parallel to the one that's already taken place. We've been following Salver and the Grand Huntress, and it's very clear that they are one in the same in regards to seeing the ends of their mission or their purpose. Grand Huntress says that you do not know what it's like to want revenge. She's hell-bent on seeing her mission complete. Then you have Salvor, and we see how devoted to protecting the Foundation she is. She did not hesitate to be killed if it saved everything and that she ever knew and believed in. This is because both these characters have been formed and molded through their upbringing and things beyond their control. So now you have Salvor determined to be okay with her fate and protecting the Foundation at all costs since this is all she's ever known. It's almost her faith she must see to the end. Um... You contrast this with Gail, who has 100% tried to make her own path and change her destiny to prevent her vision of her homeworld being destroyed. She's been told time and time again that her decisions have actually been her destiny all along. Her special cognition does nothing but confirm to her that she is on a designated path that she'll never be able to get out of, which is why she's never brought it up and tried to hide it away from her mind. She finally gets her time with Harry Seldon to hear what his plans are. After being traumatized, seeing him die and her lover send her away. She realizes how much of a tool she's been in this grand plan she's never signed up for. This, I feel, is Harry's fatal mistake. He never knew about her special ability, never counted for her being part of his plan in any way that could derail it or help it in the long run. She's only seen as a hindrance. How insulting it must be to find out that you were left behind to lead the first foundation and then be told it was only meant to be a decoy to the real foundation. It's confirmed to her how expendable she was in something she never agreed to. Um... I don't know, because like it's still unclear to us, I think, exactly what the fa- second foundation was supposed to do. Like, it seems to me that both of them, if I do a plain reading what Harry said in this episode, both of them are vital to the success of mm-hmm. this project they're trying to do. So it's not like one's less important, one's just more clandestine. So, you know, which is more important, the secret agent that does the spying and seal- steals the nuclear secrets or the diplomat? that is able to leverage that information and, and get concessions from, you know, another nation. Like they're both important, right? Soldier diplomat. Yeah. Sure. Missions. It's, it's crazy to me that the situation we're in because Gail was supposed to be leading the foundation on terminus. And now presumably Harry didn't figure Salvor into the equation much at all. No. Um, so now she's, kind of leading that especially if what we think happened to lewis actually happened to lewis i mean he's probably dead one way or another but like yeah, yeah space madness or gut wound yeah uh-huh. or- <laughs> right um so i guess what's the status of the second foundation now because harry no, was don't. desperate to have her stay and i mean we're we're one foundation leader short of a two foundation system currently and the mm. the one foundation leader that does exist doesn't want any part of it so we have zero yeah, foundation leaders for two foundations sleep uh-huh that's what it seems like how how is he going to reconcile that <laughs> but this is it could be that the show is having hair because like harry's not like this in the book right but i think it's uh-huh. interesting to have harry be a little myopic or maybe not have full faith in his own system that he tried to micro engineer and yeah. put individual like there, he, he tried to stack the deck a little too much. And when really he just needed to trust his formulas and his numbers mm-hmm. and his methods, you know, trust for. So I don't know, because like him calling, like it seems like um, him calling an audible 
has led a lot of chaotic ripples throughout the cycle history. And I think the show is aware of this. So I think they're going to do something interesting, like showing that, like, actually, cycle history is so strong that all the shenanigans doesn't matter because, like, it might plus or minus it a few years. But, like, what's happening is inevitable. Mm-hmm. And, you know, once the foundation started getting emotion, the second foundation to directly answer your question, I think, is on a ship that's on flames that's about to be yeah. torn apart by the heart of a dark star. And, and even if he does make it to uh, Helicon, what? Who's gonna set up the second foundation? Because that was clearly Raish's job. Yeah, it doesn't seem like something a, Harry could do by himself as a hologram. Yeah, like, hey, I'm the AI construct of one of your most famous. Uh, uh, you know, but uh, inhabitants. Uh, yeah, I know. I I think that he was definitely counting on Raish to be his human contact to kind of make all that stuff happen and grease all those wheels. And now that he doesn't have it. Now he is, I think, in large part on that knife that Gail took with her in the cryopod. Mm-hmm. But like, what does it do to his psychohistory plan that the second foundation doesn't get started for another hundred thirty-seven years? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, or is he going to be able to get some kind of half-ass but... second foundation going with just himself and the hologram, you know, and Helicon right. as a hologram? Um, I don't know. All good questions. I like your uh, analysis of the the two characters there, though, Salvor and Gale. Yeah, that they're they're like you know the, the different sides of the same coin as far as their upbringing and their sense of mission and purpose and all that kind of thing. Yeah. Um. Anyway, Josh had a, a final prediction where he thinks that Gail is 100% the missing piece of this episode. She is the very piece that could have helped the Foundation go to greener pastures and solve problems or crisis to come in the future. Instead, she's going to go back to her home world, see it destroyed, and be just like the Grand Huntress. Only this time, I may be on Gail's side. Harry even says he should not tell her about the second Foundation because of how unpredictable it all is, yet he does so anyway without realizing it's already too late to win her over. She's going to come back into the future hell-bent on destroying Harry Seldon and his work to prove herself that she is able to make her own path. I've heard a couple people suggesting that maybe Gale will be a villain for the future, and I kind of hmm. like the idea. Yeah. Or she goes back 137 years to her home world, and they've gotten their shit together, and they've, mit- they've successfully mitigated the problems, and that renews her hope in you know, humanity's long-term ability to plan and overcome. And she starts a second foundation at a handicap, but her precognition helps her like get, get, get up to speed very quickly. But from where it is like the the second foundation just seems like it's kaput. It kind of does. Yeah. Um, Here's, here's the difficult path. I think they have ahead of them. In, in some of the stuff that we talked about earlier, right, with, with staying faithful to the book while also injecting a lot of uh, characterization and texture to this story. The, the events that happen in the books are all necessarily controlled or, or you know, the impetus of, like, large groups of people and, and swaying public opinion and... Like the the more political style maneuverings, so for Gale to become a villain, how how many antagonists do you think this show is going to have? Because Empire is an antagonist at the moment. You've got the Anacrons who are antagonists, and all these antagonists roughly exist in the book that that first one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The 
the wild card here for me is Gale. And I think you can tell these stories, but like you don't want this to become too personal, right? Because if this is just like Gale's on a mission because she doesn't want to be part of the second foundation and she is pissed at Harry. And so she's going to try and tear down the foundation. That doesn't feel like foundation to me. That doesn't mm-hmm. feel like the way things happen in foundation. They happen, like I said, more on a macro scale. So mm-hmm. that's, that's the road they're going to have to walk and the kind of tightrope act they're going to have to do here is keeping these characters from feeling like they are the motivating force, the driving force of this plot and keeping the, the big stories from foundation in like the driver's seat, I guess. I agree. I think that's going to be, uh, and that's the thing is like, I I'm even giving them to like the end of second season before I start being like, Oh, they're just not doing the foundation plot, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm um, not saying we've gotten to a point where I'm concerned about yeah, that. I'm yeah. just, I'm looking ahead and that's the road. That's the path they're going to have to walk. And that seems like a tough thing. Well, we've got more Gale theories, more speculation, more analysis from your fellow fans coming up right after this brief break. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We're back this time with Kelly. It says, hey, oh, I thought I'd jump in on a prediction action regarding Gale and, the, and season two of the foundation. Been thinking more about the sleeper religion and Gale's involvement. We know from flashbacks that she was an acolyte and about to be tapped for the priesthood. We also know that before the religion got big, her parents were friends with the professor and then her mother had told Gale stories of other planets and cultures. We also know that even after leaving her home planet, Gale still believes in religion. She visited the temple on Trantor, seeks guidance, and still uh, practices prayer and, and the like. One of the biggest parts of the sleeper religion are the seers. I'm not sure yet if the priests are supposed to, or all priests are supposed to be seers, but I do know that they make a big deal out of them. Enough so that Brother Dust seeks out the priest on Trantor, putting his own life at risk just to ask if Gale is a true seer. At this point, I think we can surmise she is. I'm going on record saying that I believe Gale will go back to Synax and be seen as the sleeper. She gets there in a cryopod where she's been quote unquote sleeping. She'll have the power of a seer and be able to help them overcome their environmental problems. Gale will then bring about a new age of enlightenment on Synax. And if she has Harry with her, she can build the second foundation there. I think this likely as multiple shots point to the knife being key to Harry's sentience. Um, I like this theory a lot because it's got a lot of stuff like imagine Gale who has literally been asleep for a hundred years. 65 years at this point mm-hmm. emerges at a synax that's just getting back on its feet rejecting religious fundamentalism and embracing science and here's a literal sleeper mm-hmm. who is this math whiz who is going to be famous and could be seen as kind of like this savior like a person that can meld both of these disciplines together and what could yeah. Harry do yeah he's 137 years behind but that's a fucking head of steam you can build with. Now, well, it's nothing like. Go ahead. I, I was gonna say, depending on you know his status, is he stuck in this knife for 137 years, or is he running stuff from Helicon? Because he might have a 137 year head start. 
You could have two seeds. Harrys, couldn't you? You could sure. have a, you could have a, you could a have one that's been Harry's. fucking around in Helicon for 137 years, one that <laughs> right. blinks existence on Synax out of the knife, not knowing about the other. It, it's interesting. And, and there's also still the sneaky kind of thing that like Harry is lying because Harry's lied to Gale, the manipulator before, and that he did know about her precognition. And this is everything he's doing <laughs> is goading her to do the thing that he needs her to do. Now, yeah, I, you're starting I, I, to really fuck with that gray zone of psychohistory now, but. Oh, sure. Yeah. I, I love the idea of Gale just being who Gale is and accidentally or unwittingly setting up a second foundation because the thing about Gale is she trusts the science, right? She trusts the math and the numbers and that's her whole life has been that she's a curious intellectual person. So if she comes back to Synax and she starts uh, creating an organization, you know, to rebuild this civilization, she might inadvertently become the second foundation by just leaning into the predictions of psychohistory because she almost has especially, to, right? She'll be compelled to. Oh yeah. I mean, especially since we remember in the second episode, she was getting into the, the psychohistory cube and she kept on saying, there's something missing here. Mm-hmm. Like the calculations aren't complete. I'm starting to think that the second foundation was the thing that Harry deliberately hid. And, but like, if he did that, he had to have known that Gail would have found it because he knew that she would eventually master psychohistory and could see the missing piece and would be able to draw the conclusion from the shape it left behind. So maybe I'm starting to talk myself back into Harry is like this puppet mastermind 3D chess player, 4D chess player that has engineered this whole situation and it could only have happened this particular way. Um, maybe. So again, I, I, that's that's uh, we'll have to see how the show squares that, and you know how it shades in some of these gray areas. But uh, yeah, um, let's move on to Ben. So David S. Goyer mentioned that this was his favorite episode, this eighth episode, and I can see why. It's got lots of heart. I really like the parallel journeys into the unknown that both Gale and Salvor are on. My only gripe is uh, deals with the technology aspect of the series. In this episode, we see the Hugo plug in what appears to be a wire to the communication beacon. A wire, like an HDMI cable? We're at the stage in current humanity where everything is now becoming wireless and contactless, so the need for a wire seems out of place. Uh, you also, I'm also bothered when the Empire is getting tucked in by the sleepers. They attach wired medical-grade monitoring devices. Uh, it's not the first time I've had this thought. Back when we saw the Foundation on Terminus for the first time setting up, I saw the main center, or in the main center I saw chairs were clearly from Ikea. It just seemed completely out of place <laughs> given when this is set. Hasn't stopped my know. enjoyment of what's been a really solid and compelling season. I'm just curious if you guys have noticed these details, and if so, what are your opinions? Look, oh that, boy, that Malm Malm line is pretty popular. I think maybe in thirteen thousand years we might still have it. Yeah, flat pack shipping. You know, uh, it's it's the way. Even if you got jump drives, it's just the most efficient way to pack furniture. Yeah, uh, I'll say this: if this bothers you, stay the fuck away from the expanse, <laughs> right? Because zero AI. Yeah. It turns out that we've seen the future and it's 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 uh, sustainable flat pack Swedish furniture. Um, oh, there's so oh many. that aspect. Yes. Yeah, because there's so much there is so much shit in the in the expanse. That's just Ikea stuff because it is high tech and it's uh, it looks it, it, it kind of is still a little exotic. I think, you know, that yeah. the, the design is not traditionally, you know, kind of. Uh, 
Western furniture design. Um, but as far as wired versus wireless, as a former IT person, I would be deeply skeptical of all wireless. And like, if you don't have a way to hard jack into something, like even R2 fucking D2 had to essentially put his little like, you know, robot finger into a wall socket mm-hmm. and, and, and get stuff because, Oh, that's it's what just I the next finger. Hmm. Okay. It's, it's just, it's his, his <laughs> robo dick. Is that what you're trying to say, Jim? Yeah. Uh, trying to run a family show here. Uh, <laughs> I think that, yeah, because you're, you're, you're all, if you have a wireless thing, you always are dealing with one more moving part that you wouldn't have to, if you just plug directly in, you know? Yeah. I don't like know about antenna. you. I've, I've literally never had a Bluetooth device work correctly. A hundred percent of the time. Never. Never. It doesn't matter yeah. what the device is. Uh, my Wi-Fi router included. Like Wi-Fi doesn't work 100 percent of the time. It's you. It, I, I don't think that's going to change in 13,000 years. I really don't. Based I mean, on my personal physical, experience. Yeah, like you always have to worry about interference. You have to worry about like if the machine's working. Maybe the antenna is bad. You know, this is an installation from 50 years ago. Maybe they changed the software. Like. You know, but serial ports always a serial port. Ethernet's always Ethernet. Um, now, again, you could say 13 to 14, 15,000 <laughs> years in the future, they've solved all that and they have some kind of super duper sure. reliable technician, you know, and all that. And there again, like the expanse, I'm always like, anytime you got someone with one of those future cell phones and they flip an image onto like a memory board, you know, where Avasaral is, you know, or like Prax is doing that in season two throwing his daughter on a missing person. I'm always thinking like, who is moderating this? That people aren't just throwing up pictures of dicks and, <laughs> you know, political propaganda and shit. Like this is, yeah. is their dick pic sensors. So work so well that they just, just, you just can't do that. Or, you know, what is, but, but yeah, it's just a completely open wireless. Anyone can throw shit up there and it's, it's, it's crazy. Um, mm-hmm. So that doesn't bother me. I, I like that feels yeah, all else fails. You want a cable. You want to be able to plug into something. You don't want to have to fuck around with wireless and interference and transmission ranges and all that stuff. But that's just me. And the IKEA stuff, like again, like, there's there's a lot, a lot of shows that uh, you know if you are into I don't know any kind of like hobby. Like uh, what was it that there was like a popular rescue flashlight that uh, Westworld was using for future flashlights. And it's just like yeah. something you can order. I mean, budgets are limited, man. You can't have like fully customized shit for every chair and desk. And some of that stuff is just coming from a guy sourcing things. And uh, I guess it, I'd rather it be uh, Ikea than Ashley furniture. I don't want to see a sectional sofa just just chilling out in the middle of Terminus, you know? No. I don't want to see a lazy boy. Mm-hmm. At the very <laughs> least, I hope we get rid of barrel. that fake leather that just crumbles and falls apart mm. after a year. Just let's get rid of that and I'll be happy with all yeah. future furniture. Yeah, immediately starts delaminating. Uh, let's move on to Brett. It says, Dimmerzel said she walked a spiral 11,000 years before. If I remember, that's almost the same age as Luminism that Brother Day had mentioned previously. Might have misremembered, but if true, could Demerzel have had a stand and start had a hand in starting the religion, perhaps as a way to control pieces of the empire to her will and further her own motives? Interesting thought. If so, really fascinated by her character and the control she has over the Cleons. Um, I actually went back to look at that scene because I wasn't sure myself. And it's fifteen thousand years. Luminism has been in the 
public consciousness, whereas the Empire has been around for 11,000 years mm-hmm. and the genetic dynasty 400. Um, but that's still, in relative speaking, that's still closer to the beginning than... And and also, like, you know, there's big differences. Like, the spiral used to be a lush place with flowers that grew on it when mm-hmm. she was walking it. Um, so... Could she have had a, cha- a hand in starting it? Could she have had a hand in adapting it and, and subtly influencing it to, you know, her inscrutable ends? I think that's an open question. What do you think, Jim? Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. 4,000 years is a hell of a long time between the start of a religion and when she got into it. Yeah. Well, I'm making an assumption that 11,000 years ago is when she got into it. She might have been a luminist for 4,000 years and just never had the opportunity to walk the spiral. Right. And I was thinking, like, in terms of Christianity, you went from this, like, Jewish cult to Mormonism. And you can you can do it. You can make a direct connection to every single step that took you from. You know, this 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 guy in, in the early first century to his second coming in North America, preaching to the Indians and whatnot, like you can the Native Americans. Sorry. Uh, you know, like, I, yeah, what 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 weird shit could have started from, especially since this religion was born in a cataclysm. It sounded like, you mm-hmm. know, two planets smacked in each other, made these things. They were all inhab- uninhabitable for thou- who knows how long, like. That 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 sounds like there's uh, that religions rife for a lot of change in the very beginning, much like Christianity was like the first three, four hundred years, massive upheavals, you know, massive amounts of heresies and false messiahs and, you know, spurious books of the Bible. It took them a long time to get together and kind of like come up on. And then they got that going for a couple hundred years and Martin Luther started, you know, hanging shit up on doors and it just continues to. So, like, what are the offshoots of Luminism? You know, it's like a Sunni Shia thing where you've got different, you know, like there's a lot of Muslims, but how many, you know, there's there's different types and probably got liberal versus conservative luminists like religion. Anytime you get in that, it's, you know, that's like a purely human construct. It isn't bound by any kind of like universal laws. So who knows? All right. Next email is from Matt says one thing that keeps coming up with foundation is how does psychohistory deal with things it can't possibly know about? I want to share a description of that problem from another series that sometimes deals with it. It's called an outside context problem, a problem so far outside the context of your experience that you can't quite predict or even prepare for it. Forgive me for quoting in full from Ian M. Banks' Accession. Uh, This is, of course, if you're familiar with his works, part of the culture series, which we'll be talking about here in a minute. He says, an outside context problem is the sort of thing most civilizations encounter just once, in which they intended to encounter rather than the same way a sentence encounters a full stop. The usual example given to illustrate an outside context problem was imagining you were a tribe for a largest fertile island. You tamed the land, invented the wheel or writing or whatever. Your neighbors were cooperative or perhaps enslaved, but at any rate peaceful. And you were busy raising temples to yourself with all the excess productivity, productive capacity you had. You were in a position of near absolute power and control, which your hallowed ancestor could hardly have dreamed of. And the whole situation was just running along nicely like a canoe on wet grass. When suddenly this bristling lump of iron appears sailless and trailing steam in the bay, these guys carrying long, funny looking sticks come ashore and announce that you've just been discovered. You're all subjects of the emperor now, and he's keen on presents called taxes. And these bright eyed holy men would like a word with your priests. Thought you guys might like that. 
Uh, soft pitch. If you're looking for something to read, the culture series by Ian M. Banks is really good. Touches on subjects that have come up both here with foundation and also Westworld things like robot consciousness, human mind transfer, or backup cloning, um, uh, et cetera. Speaking uh, actually, I am, uh, I have in the Cincinnati public library system, a hold placed on the first, uh, it's called like consider Thermopolis or something like that. I, I forget. Uh, but it's the first uh, book in the, the culture series. Great. Uh, I no, like I'm this not going to be able to get it for eight weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause you know, I'm going to keep it for 16. Uh, I don't think you can. No. You can't, you get, unlike a real library book, you can't just not return it. Yeah. You know, you can't just eat the, 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 the late fees on those digital ones. Uh, what I, I like this. What'd you think? Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a cool idea and it makes a lot of sense. Um, how do you predict stuff? It's an unknown unknown, right? That's, that's sort of a similar concept. Yeah, and the fact that the, you know, I think that's the cool thing about the foundation is they take some stabs about like how would you do that? How could you mm-hmm. design a system or a plan that's, you know, rigid enough to maintain cohesion for a thousand years, but flexible enough to come up with things like these out of context problems. Um, anyway, we'll see how the the series adapts. Uh, we have a transitional email. There's two more left. We have a transitional email. This one is like um, not about book spoilers, but it's asking us to surmise our opinion of book readers on the series and and what the reaction is on that. So uh, here's the part where if you're just a show purist, you might want to start heading to the doors because why the fuck do you care about what book readers think about the series if you're enjoying it? Um, Because the next one after that will be a little bit uh, bookish. So foundation of baldmove.com is where you want to send us feedback. Uh, and, uh, we will have another episode ready late Thursday night, perhaps early Friday morning when Annifer Apple deans to send it into the ether. Um, uh, but we'll, 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 uh, catch up with you back then with the new episode, episode nine, the penultimate, uh, let's transition again, lightly. This isn't book spoilers. It's meta book spoilers, but it's a, it's a good speed bump for everybody. Uh, Josh H says, um, doing a podcast on the show, as you do, do you have a general impression about what big fans of the books thinks of the show? I've seen a lot of complaining on Twitter. I don't know what this is, but it's not Asimov's foundation, but that's a very, uh, that's the very place unhappy book fans would go to complain, even if they're in the minority. Uh, I know you've looked around and you've been on subreddits and, and stuff. Uh, what do you think? Do you, you got a temperature of like what the big book fans are thinking yeah i feel like you're right on with the the twitter stuff that you've seen i I think this is very divisive um the people who appreciate asimov's stuff um in the foundation series probably appreciate it for different reasons than you're going to appreciate the show and so i i can understand why people might be put off by that that said personally i think it's a very good show uh you know, and it is being about as faithful as I would want about as faithful as a show could be and still be a show that I would want to watch. Cause I, I can tell you, I don't think the direct adaptation of foundation is an exciting watch. It's an, it's a very intellectual, uh, sort of, a higher brain read. But it is not something that's exciting or or emotionally impactful or visually interesting even like 
None of that stuff. Yeah, like 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 uh imagine if um the Cosmo series by Sagan and later by uh, Neil uh, deGrasse Tyson. Imagine mm. that, that but science fiction. And that's literally what Foundation is. It's science fiction written by an actual scientist wearing a bolo tie, mutton chops, <laughs> looks like a real real fucking nerd. Uh cuz he cuz he was. Um and th- those don't consider themselves as much with the human stories, but um I have seen some book fans that are intrigued by what's going on here and, mm-hmm. and see the interesting stuff with the, the robots and the empire and the clone dynasty. And it says like, okay, if this is the prequel to terminus, then I guess that's not a bad, um, but it's also, I feel like there's a lot of posers out there that are acting like they're giant Asimov fans. And maybe they've read a book or two, or maybe they read it back, you know, 30 years mm-hmm. ago, like I did. And they don't really remember it because I'm just seeing wild takes. Like, <laughs> People see in episode eight and be like, oh, we a robot killed somebody. There's no effing way this can be yeah. at all an Asimov book or, you know, uh, Salver Harden isn't an experienced administrator when we first catch up to her. This is this is not my right. I mean, I just don't know how serious to take that because I've read a lot of Asimov, not a lot of recent Asimov, but his stuff is all about like what if type questions, you know, like what if. Uh, what if a, uh, uh, a planet that's surrounded by a complex quadrinary solar system that's never seen light except for once in a, never seen night time except for once in a thousand years, the planet aligns to where you get a night and like, <laughs> what the, f- or maybe it's been, t- what does a civilization do? It's never seen darkness deal with darkness and how did they flip the fuck out? Yeah. It's full of stuff like that. And it's like, it's almost like anti Asimov to be like, how dare you like not literally follow word for word? How dare you play with these concepts? How dare you adapt them and put cloning? And Although I got to say, almost everyone thinks the Empire stuff is dope. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, it, like even the people that are. It, yeah, it is the most interesting part of the show so far. Um, but I feel like it's all just ramping up, right? I don't think anybody complained if in Asimov's book, there was a chapter of Harden as a, a young man, right? Like no, no one would say this doesn't work and it doesn't belong in this book. If they were adding layers to Harden so that you understood why he was making the decisions he was making, you know, it, it, right. it just See because it's not in the book doesn't the mean it's man. not good. Yeah. I, that's, that's where I keep saying it's like, and it's weird. Cause like, like like everyone likes the empire stuff which is the biggest deviations quote unquote from the books right um and i feel like the stuff that's most closely adhering to the books like you know this invicta storyline is definitely a plot line in the books it's a little puffed up and and made more exciting uh Uh, the terminus stuff but the the, but you know the terminus stuff is still close but again like like uh, i think goyer said i'm not sure it was i've read so many damn interviews with them now i'm not sure if it was ours or the ama or what but he says that like you know you understand that this is like 20 years. This is just frontier town of Terminus. This isn't the big, you know, thing that it like becomes and hardens, not the person that she'll eventually become. But since it is closest to the books, like people tend to fucking lose their mind. Yeah. Where the yeah. stuff where he's just, you know, they're just stitching stuff from whole cloth. They're liking that. So I'm like, I, I don't know. Um, because yeah, I think the empire stuff is really, really good, but of mm-hmm. late I've really liked the Gale stuff and the Harry stuff and the second foundation stuff that they're exploring surprising to me, but it made a lot of sense the like, well, instead of saving this for the really late reveal, mm-hmm. uh, why don't we start building the seeds and laying the fountain? It's like, I, 
you know, th- this guy spent like two, three hours talking to Apple execs and pitched them on an eight season series. And <laughs> we're just just at the beginning of of the, the remix effort. So, uh, yeah, and I think uh, all of this stuff has been enjoyable. It's been good. I, I think one of the reasons why people like the Empire stuff so much and maybe not as much the other stuff is because there are a lot of sci fi concepts to play around with in that and not so much in the other chunks, right? Like you, you got the vault, but it's been kind of sidelined for a while now. Um, and we're just dealing with this Invictus ghost ship, which I think is a super cool, like once they got to what is the Invictus and how did it operate and, and how did it get here? And it, what happened to the crew? All that stuff is super fascinating to me. Uh, but the empire has always been like clones and uh, force fields and shit that like, sci-fi nerds love right so i can see why if you're a big sci-fi fan and you come into this and you go what are the parts of this show that i like the empire's natural draw it's got the politics that you like from a lot of the asimov foundation book and it's also got some really cool sci-fi concepts yeah um and even like i I, i've been thinking about some of the problems quote unquote that i've had with the series like you know like what the fuck did they forget the jump drives make people crazy on the invictus like that stuff always tends to kind of get handled to some extent or another. Um, mm-hmm. And like when I think about the things that haven't, like it's just very minor things that probably explained by COVID protocols. Like, ah, I don't know why this scene was blocked this way or why there's 200 guys shooting a gun and like nobody taking yeah. hits. Well, let's get to the book spoilery section. Um, this is uh, J cube that he, he had uh, some thoughts up here, but I broke this off to have a little discussion um, apparently, I hope hopefully everybody who is uh, not interested in some light book stuff uh, has left. All right. OK, J Cube says this show is causing me some frustration due to it seemingly com- uh, contradicting the book. You have bit uh, talked a bit about the great man theory, but so far it feels like the Selden plan hinges on just that. While in the book, it's quite the opposite. The great man uh, Salver specifically calls out that this is the first uh, Selden crisis. How is that even a concept Terminus should be aware of? Have I missed something or shouldn't they be still under the impression they are merely uh, creating this encyclopedia galactic galaxia? That wasn't anything on their radar until after the first Selden recording recording from the time vault. Yeah, that's true. I'm going to have to. OK, because I wasn't sure I haven't read the books for a while. I wasn't sure if they did not know that there was a crisis ahead of them. This is why I'm not 100 percent sure that I know what's in the vault yet. Um, uh-huh. because in the book, yeah, uh, Harry Selden comes back after like 50 years or something and they open the, the vault opens and he tells them there are going to be a series of crises ahead of you and you're going to have to navigate those. And he doesn't really like influence the outcome of any of that. You know, he's not like a, he is a hologram, but he's not a hologram that's like actively doing things, right? He's not running inside of a ship that's floating out there, influencing Gale to make a second foundation, at least not in the first book that I've read. Uh, oh, yeah, these are more, more just message like, in, messages in the bottle exactly. than an active AI. Yeah, so that's why I'm not 100% sure what's in that vault, because it seems like they've already done that, except Harry hasn't shown up to anybody yet. He hasn't appeared and told anybody about these crises. They seem to be fundamentally built into whatever organization he's building, whether that's this, this political, this, this techno- technological, this religion-based thing, whatever it is. He's already told them about the crises. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, I guess I'm curious to see what's in the vault because 
depending on what's in there, I'll kind of either like, oh, okay, I see how they're going to start pounding this back into the foundation shape, or it'll be like, I just need to let go of my expectations. Right. Because they're going and telling a much more different story. And I just, I don't know, because I I keep on comparing this to like other things, like, you know, uh, Lord of the Rings, Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings, and how it mostly hewed really close, except for things that like just wouldn't work in the books or on the film, like Tom Bombadil and even Expanse. Like, remember how different Mm -hmm. the first two books were from the series? Yeah. But like, you when you read them, they they both felt of a piece, right? They're like spiritually connected. You could tell, mm-hmm. um, even though characters are compressed and and POVs are compressed and timelines were altered. And I remember there's a lot of people hewing and crying uh, from the book side of that, like, oh my god, they're just butchering Holden. Holden's this, and oh my god, Bobby's terrible because blah blah blah. And Amos is, and it's all like people just fucking relax by the time season three and four rolled around because they were nailing it. They were doing what needs to be done to make it a compelling adaptation. And that's yeah. what the I mean, there's that much bitching and moaning when the two authors were directly involved in the project. Asimov's dead. Right. So, um, yeah. Anyway, I, I, I'm curious to see, like, what, how much of a funhouse ride we're into, because once we get to the vault, uh, we'll, we'll probably have a lot to say. Well, I have a lot to say. <laughs> uh Jabe Cube continues, by this point, I'm a bit underwhelmed with Terminus' scale. Uh, what is there, like 50 people left? Seldom went to Terminus with 100,000. True, but again, they're trying to capture the very early phase of the Terminus project. We're not, you know, the book doesn't catch up with Terminus for another 20, 30 years uh, of development. So they are mm-hmm. jumping the gun with some plot lines and uh, yeah. retarding others. So it's, it's hard to tell. Hard to tell. He says, Terminus also seems fixated on unlocking the Prime Radiant so they can view Selden's plan, while in the book, Selden made it clear that the plan depended on Terminus not knowing what he had predicted so their choices would not be influenced. It's entirely the responsibility of the Second Foundation to subtly steer events to keep in line with the Selden plan as well as fine-tuning the plan. Um, I read the trilogy prior to the season starting. And I've read the sentiment of Reddit uh, on Reddit of those who read the first book during the season. And it seems common to those that have added negatively that it has negatively affected how they enjoy the show as a PSA. I would strongly recommend to any that are thinking about reading any of the books to not do so. Despite my gripes, there's still things that intrigue me like the Imperial drama that is completely missing from the books and the see and the seeds of the second foundation production value and acting continues to be top notch as well. Hmm. Um, I mean, I definitely I, I don't because like I kind of want to be like, well, for Walking Dead, reading the <laughs> comics definitely took my enjoyment of the show because every time they zigged where the show zagged, I felt like it was always a worse zig or a worse zag than the comic books. And, and it, it always felt like always, they did it only to zag. They didn't have any intention other than let's not zig here. There's also, yeah, I, I, well, you think we're going to zig, we're going to subvert the zag. Also, is 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 this going to cost money? If not, let's keep zigging, (laughs) even if we're sick of the zig location, because we got the zig factory for four years and we got to amortize this shit (laughs) and get 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 a load of zig, get a load of the zig. Um, I don't know. But like, you know, the expanse was a lot more like, I guess, is jazz style remix, especially for the Mm -hmm. first two or three books. Um, So I've seen it done both ways. The Game of Thrones was pretty literal for the first three or four seasons before they kind of ran out of track so and it's like man i think about 
Game of Thrones, and I thought that was impressive in season one, but I know when you and I went back and did a rewatch, like, if if you are used to the highs and the confidence of the production from, like, season four and five and six of Game of Thrones, and you go back to season one, where there's still a little bit of that pilot footage left, and it's rough. Yeah. It's rough for hair and makeup, costuming, <laughs> dialogue, like, you know, they needed to gel a bit, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm super interested to see what happens with this 137 year time jump because that yeah. to me the first book never even gets that far. The first book gets 80 years into this process and and it's gone the foundation has gone through three iterations at that point. The foundation has gone from this back backwater uh, galactopedia thing into a full blown religion into a full blown mercantile operation like it it has changed fundamentally multiple times. We're going to jump ahead 137 years and I don't expect them to be any further along than like a religion if that. Yeah, I. Uh, I wonder if they're going to just slow everything down in general like to get this eight so like you know be. to to like you know really make a because we were thinking of like well you know uh, a book a season and, and david said no 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 that's not the way to look at it at all mm-hmm. um so it could just be that they're just going to take a little bit more time like yeah. um for whatever reason to let the empire look a little bit more fucked up or i i don't know because you're right like in the space in the span of time the books that covers like the foundation does go through a radical number of upheavals and changes. And I feel um, like it's almost too compressed in the books. Like 80 years is not yeah. enough time for this organization to become the three things that it is. Yeah. And so like, I guess I wouldn't tell people not to read these books. I guess like, at this point in the season, I wouldn't know. I don't know why you would start, but like sure. sometimes um, people prefer to read a book after the series because, you know, then it almost feels like you're always expanding your knowledge and you're getting like more detail and more lore. Um, and you don't feel like, you know, that you're getting a abbreviated version, but it'll be interesting because I think people will be really surprised at how stilted some of the stuff is in foundation, you know, from a storytelling, just a narrative yeah. standpoint, like there's nothing as colorful as the genetic <laughs> dynasty. No, um, there's nothing like the simple human connection of Hugo and Salvor or her parents, you know, there's nothing like a war, like a, you know, there's none of that stuff. Um, now it's a bunch of dudes sitting around in rooms talking is essentially there are a couple scenes that are a little more exciting than that but very few um, is there a lot of smoking in those books too like conspicuous smoking Uh, I think so okay because I I heard that somebody saying that's one of the jarring things is like how often people are like ashing into like you Mm -hmm. know uh, atomic disintegrators or whatever. <laughs> so that's kind of jarring that we're still Marlboro manning up at the uh, 20, 30,000 years into galactic empire. But yeah. I, I, I don't know. Cause like it, it, um, I don't feel like this is a, a like usually when you see a, a, a book and you, then you see the movie, you think about, Oh, that's just the, 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 the toned down stripped down version. Mm-hmm. If anything, like there's so much expanded on in this series, it feels like the opposite. So, yeah um i I, it'll be interesting i I feel like if you read the book first and you think that the show is going to be like that you might be in a bad time for a bad time but i also think if you watch the show and then read the book it might also be 
Mm. Like, oh man, it's a little, you know, it's like, if you like the movie Dune, Hey, let's go watch the David Lynch Dune. I bet you don't like the David Lynch Dune. <laughs> I bet most people that really like the, uh, Denis Villeneuve, uh, will probably not like the David Lynch. Um, but you probably like the book. So yeah. it's, uh, I do think that listening to the official podcast and seeing all the different interviews and, and comments that uh, they've made, the writing staff, it does feel like um, they're very bright, smart people with interesting things to say about humanity. And I, I do think it's crazy how much shit that they get on like the subreddit, especially oh, yeah. like insults to their intelligence. Like it, it, you can say whatever you want. Like these are pretty talented, creative, smart folk, mm-hmm. you know? Like, oh, they they personally offended your calculations of hyperspace. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> they also created a really nifty version of warp drive I've never seen before. So there's that. Yeah. Anyway, uh, we'll we'll see. We'll see. Uh, you know, I just want this to be first and foremost a good show. And so mm-hmm. far, I think it's a good show that's had a lot of things that are great about it and has a lot of promise for the future. So me too. Foundation at baldmove.com. If you want to disagree with us uh, or agree with us, or you got a new take, a new theory, uh, something you want to share, like uh, Dumbledore and Harry Seldon totally related, I would love to hear it. Foundation at baldmove.com. We'll see you Thursday, late evening, or early Friday morning for episode nine, the penultimate ep- episode, The First Crisis. Speaking of crises. Yeah. Uh, I can't wait. I can actually watch the episode now. Mm -hmm. Uh, Until next time, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See ya.